Hi everyone, I'm Pastor Eric. And I'm Kelsey. And we're here to welcome you to another exciting episode of The Good News in Harry Potter. Today we'll be talking about Chapter 12. The Mirror of Erised. So Kelsey, what did you like about this chapter? Well, you know, Christmas at Hogwarts just seems like the coolest way to celebrate Christmas. The Great Hall has giant trees in it. The decorations just sound out of this world. If I could go there for Christmas, I would love it. Yeah, and it contrasts pretty greatly with that 50 cent pence piece that Harry gets from the, the, the Dursleys, uh, uh, which probably wouldn't even have bought half a, uh, half a drumstick on one of those hundreds of turkeys. Yeah, he definitely made the right choice by staying at Hogwarts for Christmas instead of going back to the Dursleys. He also gets the invisibility cloak, which, I mean, how cool would it be to have an invisibility cloak? I can only imagine that there is nothing in this world more dangerous for an 12-year-old? 11-year-old? 11-year-old. 11-year-old to have than an invisibility cloak. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I also really like the sweater that he gets from uh, uh, Mrs. Weasley there. It's mm -hmm. uh, Even if it's slightly nicer than the rest of the families because Harry... He's still an outsider in that group, but it's showing a, a connectionness that he's been missing this entire time. Yeah. And I think reflects greatly with what he sees later on in this chapter. Absolutely. It shows a welcoming to the family and a sort of kindness and caring that he has not seen before. The rest of this chapter just kind of focuses on this mirror, this magical mirror that can either show you your family or show you your heart's desires, what they eventually get to, but Harry doesn't really know exactly what he's seen when he when he gets to it. It's, we focus on his parents, but he says there's a great big group of people, and you wonder if it's like grandparents or aunts and uncles and uh, this whole list of people that he's never met. I know. I also was wondering, okay, so what happened to all these people? Because we've already learned that the Dursleys are the only family he has left. But it sounds like there's tons of family members that he's seen in this mirror. I, I often wonder if he just really wants a big family. Mm -hmm. And so if the mirror just created these people. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and Ron gets something completely different. Ron gets... A very Ron dream. <laughs> yeah. You see Ron in true Ron form, just wanting to be the star of the show, outshadowing his brothers and sisters, um, which, I mean, you can't blame him for. He's had, what, five brothers come before him that are all really impressive and have done a lot of great things in their times at Hogwarts. Yeah, it's, it's almost a, a monumental task. It takes like a little bit from each and every one of his, his siblings. Uh, uh, he's head boy um, uh, and a prefect, much like Percy. He's uh, the king of the Quidditch field, like... Charlie. And then uh, he looks like he's pretty popular, kind of like George and Fred. And so it's like an amalgamation of 
all these other siblings. Mm -hmm. The best of each of them he takes on. And I always just think it, it, uh, it, I wish it wasn't so Ron. I wish Ron had something, you know, else that he just desired just a little a bit little more. Deeper. Because it's, it's so surface level, mm -hmm. you know. It, it, it doesn't bid well for Ron for the rest of the series, I'll just say. That. It doesn't. And, you know, you kind of see, okay, as an 11-year-old, I don't, I don't blame you for having such a surface value desire but you wonder you know when is he gonna mature and grow up and grow out of this whole persona of I'm constantly being overshadowed I want to be the best but still putting forth very minimal effort at actually being the best yeah and uh, I think because the dream is so surface level for Ron it it, it doesn't the mirror doesn't seem to attract him much like it does Harry. Mm -hmm. um, um, Harry is, uh, uh, is almost getting these, you're seeing these like highly addictive qualities come out in the course of three nights. Yeah, Harry can't even give Ron more than two minutes to look at himself in the mirror because Harry's so desperate to get back in front of that mirror and look at it himself. Yeah, he's not eating, you know, he's throwing caution to the wind and going out night after night after night. Um, you know, it, it, it seems like he's doing something that's inherently dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why we see Dumbledore show up and kind of tell him, we're going to move this mirror and I don't want you to look at it, look, go looking for it again. Yeah, like, like I wonder if Dumbledore's just like low-key, just chilling in that room every night, just being invisible, seeing if anyone comes by. <laughs> right, that's what I thought. I was like, so have you been here every single night, or do you somehow just mysteriously and magically know that Harry found this mirror a couple nights ago? Yeah, like, a, like he's got a little bell in his office. He goes, oh, someone found the magic addictive mirror room. I better go, you know, snuff that out real yeah. quick. <laughs> Which also begs the question, why even have it? Yeah. I mean, as I look at this mirror, it, it, it does have some like benefits, I guess. Like it helps you know your true inner self. I mean, how many of us know what our true heart's desire is, you know? That's very true. Just think how easy it would make Christmas shopping if all you had to do was shove someone in front of the mirror, ask them what they see, and then go off and, you know, to, well... There's not really any standalone stores anymore, but you go to Amazon and type it in the, the search bar and click buy. That's true, but what if it's that person sees what Harry sees? Something like their family that you can't purchase. Shows you that uh, maybe you have a friend that's not so shallow. <laughs> yeah. Or I wonder, you know, Dumbledore says that the happiest man in the world would see himself just as they are. But I wonder if they would see something as simple as Dumbledore claims to see, such as wool socks. Yeah, if just think being one pair of wool socks away from the happiest person on the uh, on the planet, I think that would be that's a laudable goal, goal to get there. Yeah, I also wonder if, as Harry does at the end of the chapter, if Dumbledore truly sees wool socks, or if he was pulling Harry's leg. Well, you know, it is a very personal question. 
and considering that Harry is 11 and Dumbledore is ancient, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I kind of get Dumbledore not really spilling the beans on that. Oh, yeah, I don't blame him. I think your deepest heart's desire is very personal, and you might not want to divulge that to anyone, let alone an 11-year-old. Yeah, and essentially this mirror is just giving you something for nothing. Harry is wrapped up in this in this family that he so desperately wants, right? He doesn't even notice the family that he's gaining around him, with that, which is represented by that sweater, mm-hmm. which will become a more, take more of a role throughout the rest of the series. But I really like how these two things are combined in this chapter. Yeah, I would agree. I didn't catch that symmetry the first few times I read it. Um, but this last time through, I really liked that this was the first time you really saw Harry becoming a part of the Weasley family. Yeah, and you know, Ron, because it's so surface level, he, 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 he doesn't really want it even as much as Harry does. He's just like, oh, wow, this is awesome and cool, and like, oh, I like looking at myself like this, but he, I think he knows it's not really him. There's like, they're, they're missing that connection there. Yeah, he questions, you know, do you think this tells the future? And when Harry shot, shoots that idea down, then he's just kind of like, oh, all right, well. It's cool. This beer. is cool. Yeah, well, 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 I think Harry's desire is indicative of a, of a much deeper longing that seems to just trap him. And apparently he's not the only one. Dumbledore says many people have wasted away mm-hmm. in front of this mirror. Yeah, and I think it, that just goes to show the difference between Harry and Ron, that Harry has already suffered some immense pain in his life and has these really deep-seated need for love and family, whereas Ron, who's grown up in this wonderful, big, loving family, has a much more surface-level need or desire. Yeah, and I think this really connects well um, to the early church, especially. Um, Paul, in his letters to the Thessalonians, um, Paul's been preaching and teaching to these people for a while, and Pauline theology is very wrapped around this idea that Jesus is coming back at any moment, and he's coming back soon. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's people just decide to stop living. They sit down in the middle of the street and they just wait for God to come back. Not eating, not working, not doing anything. And Paul has to write a whole letter trying to convince them, you have to go live your life. Yeah. It's like they're almost wasting away in front of their own mirror of Erised. Yeah. And uh, uh, later on in the church, we have a bishop of Smyrna named Polycarp, and he has to write a letter in 147 uh, to the wider church because young people eager to test their faith and prove that they are perfect and end up in heaven are just turning themselves into the authorities waiting to be eaten by lions. But most of the time, they fail their nerve and uh, renounce their faith when faced with, you know, a terrifying animal 20 feet away ready to eat your arm. Yeah, I can't say I would want to be eaten by a lion either, but it's almost like you could see Ron doing that of like, oh, okay, let me do whatever it takes to achieve this whole idea of being the Quidditch captain and 
being head boy, but when actually faced with a lion or a spider in his case, as we'll learn, I doubt he'd be able to really stand up to that feat. Yeah, I think it's indicative that we always want to jump to the end. Mm -hmm. um, we always want to get something for nothing. If we can get to our goal without having to work too hard, why work too hard? Yeah. And I, you know, being a Christian, we always wrap it up with getting to heaven. But Jesus' life and ministry was way more about where we end up, but how we live right now. And it's easy to waste your life just trying to profess uh, a small bit of faith, enough that you can end up in heaven and be with the saints, but to rather live like Jesus lived and to make a meaningful impact on those around you is a much harder path and one in which Christians often don't pursue. And I think it's important that we look at ourselves not as just heaven-bound and damn the rest of the world, we don't care how you live, but look at ourselves as part of this community of people that are all God's creation and how we should act right here and right now as we continue to live in this world as Christ's ambassadors. Couldn't have said it better myself. No. What do you what are your heart's desires, people listening out there? What do you want? What do you see when you want to jump to the end? Let us know and think how can you live out your faith right now instead of thinking about where your faith will get you later. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>